The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Good morning. This is one of those Gospels that uh, particularly touches the heart of a parent. Those of us who have been blessed to be parents, those of us who are godparents, all of us have lifted up the little ones that have been given to us, those little ones who we love. We have lifted them up to the Lord Jesus. We have lifted them up in the very deepest prayers of our hearts. For we want so much, like that father in the gospel this morning, to see our little ones grow up to full and healthy stature in the Lord, that stature that they have been created for, that he put his image on them for in the first place. We want so much to see them grow up into the fullness of that stature. So we bring them to Christ's church. We present them before the altar. We baptize them when they're babies. We trust that Jesus will receive them and that he will care for them and that they will in turn receive him. I will tell you a story that I have told before. The name Isaac in the Old Testament language means laughter. And when a little boy is given a name like Isaac, laughter, it means that he is one who has brought great joy to his mother and father, and that there is an expectation that he will bring great joy to all the world. A little more than 210 years ago, on a small farm in what was then the territory of Ohio, there was a young boy named Isaac. And Isaac had a terrible seizure. He fell into a fire and he was killed. Isaac had been the eighth child of his parents, Alexander and Elizabeth McIntyre, and the whole family mourned the tragic loss of him. His older brother, Andrew, survived to go on to the somewhat dubious distinction of being my great-great-great-grandfather on my mother's side. Now, Isaac and Andrew's parents were Presbyterians from Scotland, and I'm sure that like the father of the boy in the gospel, and like all of us, it was the deepest desire of their hearts to see each of their children be faithful and grow up to full and healthy maturity. Yet for little Isaac, this was not to be in this life. His parents, like the disciples in the gospel today, must have asked the Lord with tears why it was that their prayers did not seem to work. Why was Isaac not protected and healed of his infirmity? And so it is in our families when we are confr confronted with suffering, with disease, with 
something that seems to be like a possession, something that comes from outside and seems to take over our loved one, an addiction, whatever it may be, something that comes upon that loved one and takes control of him and throws him into places where he ought not to go. Why is it that our prayers do not catch this and fix it? We pray fervently at such times. We anoint with holy oil. We fast. And we keep praying. And we keep fasting. And we keep anointing. And if the one won't come for anointing, we pray and we fast anyway. Whether he wants it or not, we keep praying for him. This one that seems to be in the grip of something. And sometimes there is a healing for which we all give glory to God. And sometimes we mourn. Sometimes the mouths of the lions are stopped. And sometimes the Christians are torn apart. We weep over Syria. But we do not stop praying because the Christians keep being torn up by the lions. We do not stop praying. We keep praying. What are we to make of all of this? How are we to find our balance? How do, are we to keep our sanity when we do not get what our prayers have begged for? How do we keep our sanity? How do we stay healthy? When the righteous prophet Job suffered, his so-called friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, I love to say that, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I love these triple names that you find in the Bible. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar were quick to tell him that he was suffering because of his lack of faith and because of his sins. That was why he was suffering. They were wrong. Job, sitting on a heap of ashes and broken pottery that was all that left, was left of his home, with his body covered by hideous sores, Job looked up to them and up to heaven, and he said, Though worms shall destroy my body, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. After his suffering, and indeed in his suffering, Job did see the hand of God, and that hand saved him. So also we might remember when the man born blind was given his sight, some, as, as when uh, Job's false friends spoke to him, so it was the friends of the man born blind and his family came to the parents and said, who was it who had sinned to make this man blind in the first place? Don't you just love that when you are suffering and someone comes to you and said, who is it in your family who sinned to make this happen? We all seem to have so often this perverse kind of a tendency to want to know who to blame for everything that happens. Everything that we ought to be praying for, we try and find out who to blame for. And that must be stopped. We must not ever do that. We have so often this compulsive need. 
We want to have some comfortable sense of explanation, or maybe we want to know who to blame. Yet our Lord's reply to the question of the healing of the man born blind should instruct us in every moment of our life. He said the man suffered in his blindness, and you, each of you, who may be suffering now in one thing or another, you may be the one under the grip of something, or you may be a family member of the one under a grip of something. Listen to what the Lord said to those. He said that the man was born blind so that the glory of God might be revealed. Our suffering, even our loss, may come to us that the glory of God might be revealed. I submit to you that whether we are healed in this life or whether we are slain here and then healed in heaven, suffering is sent to build our faith to the glory of God. Did our Lord Jesus not himself suffer and die before he rose? He suffered and died before he rose. He didn't go straight to the resurrection just because that would have been the more comfortable and glorious thing. He suffered and died and then rose from the dead. A seed of faith may move mountains, but that seed may have to fall into the ground and die before it brings forth any fruit. So it has been among us when we have lost loved ones. Out of our mourning, has come a resurrection of the life that they planted here, those ones that we can no longer see. Carol, Peggy, Deacons Edward and Howard, Fathers Richard, Jack, Peter, Gordon, and Jim, and all the rest, all the rest of those who we lost, not when we wanted to, who we lost ahead of when we wanted to lose them, ahead of when we felt it was their time, all of those who we may have prayed in the run-up to their passing and said, please save them. All of those we lost now pray for us. They are in that heavenly cloud of witnesses for us. Out of their suffering and passing came a multiplication of the virtues they planted. On the other hand, oftentimes, the sick child is healed. We lift healing and deliverance. We lift suffering and loss. We lift them all the same. We lift them to the Lord. Though we will struggle with this when we are in the moment, there is no way that you're going to go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do that. That must be right. We will struggle in our stomachs. We will struggle in our hearts. We will really struggle in our brains to wrap ourselves around, how do I lift this up unto the Lord, both the suffering and the loss and maybe the healing? How do we wrap ourselves around that to the glory of God? We do not ask whether suffering or loss comes because of another's sin. That's, that's a good place to start. On the contrary, we see the sickness, we see the suffering, we even can be given to see the loss 
as an opportunity for a breakthrough of the grace of God. For whether we are healed in this life or not, the virtue of our faith gives glory to God in all things. You want a bumper sticker to put on your life. Glory to God in all things. And that's an ancient bumper sticker from the Christian church. Glory to God in all things. You want something to say at every moment of your life other than just Lord have mercy. Say glory to God in all things. And it will reframe It'll be a, as my homeboys at County Mental Health say, a cognitive reframe. It'll be a reframing of where you are in that moment. Glory to God in all things. No demon can take our lives on this earth. No demon trying to throw you into the fire can take your life on this earth. Even in death, you will be healed and you will stand before the Lord. Perhaps, just perhaps, and forgive a little speculation on my part that I have often indulged. Perhaps, just perhaps, I'm a priest here today because of little Isaac McIntyre's prayers. Just perhaps. Perhaps he was gathered into heaven, healed of every infirmity that he had here so that he could pray for us who follow, even not just the Presbyterians. Maybe I'm an Orthodox priest because of that little Presbyterian boy. In the beauty of heaven, we, we might see all of this. We will see something beautiful. We might even see what we have dreamt of. We shall see all face to face. We will know the mystery of our salvation. And what is a mystery? A mystery is something that as you're reading it, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who did it. You don't know what, what's going on in this thing. It's all kind of confusing. And then all of a sudden in the last paragraph of the mystery, you go, oh yeah, that's what it was. That's what I didn't see back there. That's what I didn't see when I was in the middle of it. Sometimes I still hear that old song, farther along we'll know all about it, farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother, and live in the sunshine, we'll understand it all by and by. Until then, we in faith bring our loved ones, we in faith bring ourselves, we bring our sick, and our broken ones, and all of those in trouble, we bring them to Jesus. We lift them up to the Lord, and to him be all glory in all things, to the glory of the Father. Amen.